Um, just before we uh, continue with our our service this morning, today is a special day in our community, not just because uh, we're celebrating Thanksgiving, but because it's Mikey's birthday, I've been told. Am I right? Yeah. So, um, Mikey, wherever you are, uh, I want to sing you a happy birthday. Okay. So you guys still sing with me? Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Michael. Happy birthday to you. Thank you, Mikey. Uh, he's such a great, faithful servant here at the church, and I'm super grateful for you, Mike. So happy birthday. It all began with a prayer. It all began with the prayer of one man. Oh Lord, great and awesome God, hear my prayer. I confess our sins, for we have not obeyed your commands, but remember your promise. Oh Lord, hear the prayer of your servant who loves to worship you and give your servant success and grant him favor. We began several weeks ago in the book of Nehemiah uh, encountering the story of one man, an ordinary man, tasked with doing an extraordinary task. For the last several weeks, we've been reveling in the book of Nehemiah. I, at least I have. I don't know if you have, but I have, because I love the story of Nehemiah, because I think it's so appropriate for what God is inviting us into today. And in Nehemiah, we find just a, an ordinary person who, through one simple prayer, the one we just read steps into history and becomes such a significant figure in our shared history. Oh Lord, hear the prayer of your servant who loves to worship you. Give your servant success and grant him favor. For the last several weeks, we've studied how Nehemiah was just an ordinary person going about his job when we heard news, distressing news, and he felt like in his heart God was calling him to do something about it. Not unlike you and me. Not unlike the situations that you and I find ourselves in, just going about our business when God suddenly comes along and he says, there's something I need from you, a calling upon our lives. Nehemiah began to pray. And in this time of prayer, God centered his heart. You know the story, just a, just a, a, a wine connoisseur, a, um, what's the name? A sommelier. That's all he did in his regular job. But suddenly he was tasked to do something extraordinary, to rebuild the city walls of Jerusalem. A city that had been decimated and ridiculed and lay in ruins for such a long time that no one thought it could be done. And yet Nehemiah feels compelled to do something about it. And he says, God, grant me favor. See, the reason I love Nehemiah and his story is because he's a lot like us. We see the trouble, and not just far away, what's going on in the world. We see it right in front of us, in our homes, in our workplaces. And then we say to ourselves, but what can I do? See, Nehemiah was just like that. The Bible tells us that when encountered with, with this situation, he felt the impossibility of the task. He recognized how difficult it would be because others had tried and failed. And that no one wanted to rebuild. And yet he felt compelled. Why? Because of prayer. In this time of prayer, the Bible tells us that he fasted and he prayed. And during those seasons of prayer, God seared it into his heart that he needed to do something about it. 
And just like him, you and I face the impossibility of the task. And you know how he overcame the impossibility of the task? With those simple words, God grant me success. God grant me favor. See, there's no task that is impossible for him. Amen? Don't you believe that? Don't you believe that nothing is impossible for God? Because you've said that verse probably all your life if you grew up in church. For with man, it's, it's not possible. But for God, nothing is impossible. But you need to now embrace that for your life, for the situation that you're in, for the task that God has placed before you. I don't know what that is, but I'm pretty sure you feel it's impossible. And yet I'm here to tell you today that through prayer, the impossible becomes possible. Nehemiah said, it seems impossible, but grant me favor. And he lunges right in. You know the story. He goes and he asks the king for, for a ridiculous amount of provisions. See, because that's the other thing that he faced. The lack of provisions. It's the same thing that you and I face. We want to do something. We want to change something about our world, about our workplace, about our schools. You say, God, I wish I could, but I don't have the money. I don't have the resources. I don't have the time. I wish I could do something about that, but I don't have the provisions. Nehemiah was the same way. Uh, just a sommelier, just a wine pourer, servant in another kingdom. And yet in those moments of prayer, God made it clear to him as he wants to make it clear to us. Whatever God calls us to do, he also provides for. No amens to that. I know why. Because you don't believe it. You don't believe it. You don't think God can make impossible things in your life. That's why you're like, eh, I don't think so. See, we've been, we've been fooled. We, especially us here in the Western world, in America, in Southern California. We've come to this place looking for a better life. My parents did. But along those opportunities, we also fell head over heels for a lie. That we could make ourselves. That we could become on our own. That the houses and the things that we own, we did that. You know, my parents used to tell me when I was a kid, work hard, right? Your parents too? If you can work hard and study hard, you can be anything. Mijo, I brought you to this country so you don't have to suffer like we do, but in this country, if you work hard, if you do the right things, you can get ahead, you can succeed. But you know what happened along that way? We stop needing God. We stop needing Him because we've got everything already. I find it fascinating, but in our home countries, those of us that immigrated, where we have nothing, it's so much easier to say, well, I trust God. Why? Because I have no other choice. But in our country, that's harder. Nehemiah was, was a servant and faced with the impossibility of the task, he had nothing. So he had no alternative except to say, God, you provide. You provide. He faced the same obstacles you and I have, but we are dulled to this idea because we think somehow that we can make it. And when we don't know how to make it, we think then it's impossible. I can't make more money. I can't make more time. I'm already busy. I'm already compromised. But what we fail to see is that what God calls, he provides for. And whom God calls, he provides for. And you know how Nehemiah knew this? Through prayer. God grant me favor. God grant me favor. And you know the story. He goes to the king and says, I need this, 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 and that. And the king says, sure, you got it. 
Nehemiah next faced the same thing that you and I faced, apathy. He went to the people and said, we need to rebuild the wall. And they were like, yeah, that sounds great. You do that, Nehemiah. Just like us. We need to do something. But right around you, maybe even in your own heart, you think, ah. And then you just flip the page. And then you just move on. Apathy. This reluctance to engage in something that seems impossible because we've tried it before and it didn't work. Because we can't see beyond our own circumstances and because we ignore the God who calls us. But Nehemiah steps into this moment of apathy and he says this, we need to do this. The walls, our city is in disgrace. We need to do something about it. He begins to do just like the prayer, take personal responsibility. We brought ourselves in this situation and we need to make a move to get ourselves out. But God will grant us success. This personal prayer that he prayed, God give me success, he now extends to the people and he says, God will grant us success. You know this because I've been preaching it for several weeks. And the people respond. And you know, friends, the same is true for us today. If we move forward in confidence, then others will follow. Benita, listen. If we move forward in confidence, then others will follow. Amen. But we've got to move. Amen. We've got to surge ahead. We've got to not be swayed by the apathy around us. We can't just say, well, that's the world today. No, we need to challenge the status quo. We need to move forward. Nehemiah then faces the ridicule as the people begin. I'm just recapping this for you guys that haven't been here. Uh, you can read it all for yourself there in the book of Nehemiah. As they begin to rebuild, suddenly they are ridiculed by the people around them. What are you doing? Why are you doing? What do you think you're going to accomplish by this? Why are you going to church? Why are you bothering with studying the Bible? What do you think is going to happen? Are you going to worship God? Are you going to sing songs? Why do you do that? Why does it matter? And Nehemiah turns to the people. And he says, remember your sons, remember your daughters, and fight for their future. It does matter. In the face of ridicule, Nehemiah is not dissuaded because he has spent time in prayer to solidify his identity. By the time he encounters the ridicule of doing something for God, he is no longer concerned with who he is. Are you listening? He is no longer concerned with his standing in the kingdom of God. He already knows he's not a sommelier. That's just his day job. He's not a servant of the king. That's just his current circumstance. By the time he moves into this moment of action, he already knows that he is an envoy from God, a secret agent, an ambassador for the kingdom. So when others say, why are you doing this? Sounds ridiculous. He says, it may sound ridiculous to you, but it means everything to me. You know how he got there? Prayer. Spending time wrestling with God, basking in the presence of the glory of God, and inviting you and me to do the same. Nehemiah next faced actual threats and dangers in a place most of us have never come to, where we're actually under threat and physical danger for the choices we make to follow God. But I guarantee you, it's coming. I guarantee you it's coming because the Bible says it is. Because we, as good Seventh-day Adventists, we know that in these end times, your faith will be tested and you will be under threat. Not just ridicule, not just humiliation, but physical danger and threat. You know, our brothers and sisters across the globe live under the threat of, of political exile, of being hurt, of being imprisoned. 
You and I have it easy. We should be grateful for that. But a time is coming for us too. And when the time came and the threats came, you know what Nehemiah said? I will hold a sword in my right hand to protect myself, but I'm going to keep building. Amen. I'm going to keep doing what God asked me to do, even under the threats. You know why? Because greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. You're not following me, are you? You can't see it yet. Nehemiah is essentially laying out the map, the blueprint for you and I to follow. We have to move forward. We have to surge ahead, no matter the cost. Jesus said it. What, what, what good is it to you? Listen, friends. What good is it to you to have a 3,000 square foot home in a three-car garage with a swimming pool and a red kitchen if in the end of it you lose your soul? What good is it to you to have such a large bank account, savings, and retirement when in a few days your life could be taken from you? What good is it? Jesus says, don't store up treasures for yourself here, but there. And you know how Nehemiah does it? Through prayer. Through prayer. In those moments, under physical threat and danger, he said to the people, God will grant us success. Because we're not doing this for you and me. We're not doing this so that I could uh, gain notoriety. Uh, Nehemiah isn't trying to secure his place in the history books. He's only doing what God said to do. Amen. That's the difference. Ne Nehemiah begins to understand in those moments of prayer that he is here and God is here. And that he is here at his pleasure. And that he serves at the pleasure of the king, the most high. And he says, God, I will do your will. Grant me favor, but I'm going to do it no matter what happens. What courage, right? See, that's why he's my hero. Because in the face of ridicule, in the face of threats, Nehemiah says, you know what? I'm just going to keep stepping. I'm going to keep building. I'm going to keep going. And I want to believe that we are capable of the same. See, the reason the Bible gives us these stories, the reason God gave us this, is so that in reading them, we might be encouraged to follow in their footsteps. So that we might say, if he can do it, Maybe I could do it too. That we might be invited into risking for God. And that's what I want for us, Benita. That's what I want for you. Now, I don't know the task, but you do. In fact, I am confident that in these last few months, God has been gnawing at the back of your spirit and telling you, son, you know you were meant for more. My daughter, you know I've been calling you. And it's time for us to rise up and to move forward. Amen. Nehemiah is just like us. Next, he faces not an external danger, but an internal danger. You know the story. As things are going well, you know how it is. Just when things are going well, the devil comes around with a sneak attack. He enters to the back door. And they say to Nehemiah, gosh, you're, you're creating so much change. You're doing so great. Why don't you come and, 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 and join heads together with us? Join our council meeting. Be part of our network circle. And we can envision a greater and better tomorrow. He is invited to become a politician. And Nehemiah is in this moment where he, like us, could be easily misled into thinking, you know what? I have been doing good things. See, that's the problem with us in Adventism. I'm just be honest with you guys. We took the message of God and began to grow, and we are growing the world currently, but we've gotten to this place where we're now starting to think, maybe it's about us and protecting Adventism. 
self-importance. Maybe it's about us and we need to like make sure that the world recognizes how united we are and how important we are. So we can have a seat at the table of influence. But you know Nehemiah's response? I don't have time for that. Nehemiah says, I'm too busy building the wall. I don't have time. I don't have time to spend in trying to figure out how important I am. My job is not to secure my place and position at the seat of importance. My job is just to get this wall done. You see, his singularity of focus comes from where? From where? From prayer, friends. From spending time with God and having God sear into his heart. This is your job. This is who you are. This is who I've called you to be. This is why it matters. This is why you must never let yourself get pushed off the task. And you and I need that singularity of focus. Because what I've learned in my adult life is how easy it is to be distracted. Right, friends? You started down this road and how easily you shifted and shifted. And one day you wake up and you're living a life that you never imagined you would live, devoid of meaning, of purpose, and of fulfillment. Friends, look at me, look at me. Isn't it troubling to you that we do so much and yet we feel so little? Come on, moms, dads, parents. You are busy doing so much. And at the end of your week, all you want to do is sleep. I know this for a fact. You and I both will go home today after church, after that big potluck, and we just want to go to bed. Come on, say amen. Be honest with yourself. And you look back on your week. I'm all right. You look back on your week and you're like, what did I do? What did I do that's got me so tired? I'm not saying that life is easy. You know, kids, work, it's all. But, but how much of it actually matters eternally? Think about it. How much is actually building inheritance for us up there? You see what I mean? And yet we spend like a hamster so much time running the wheel, running the wheel. And in the end, we're just as empty. And if it weren't for Sabbath, we would just die. So I, I, I give God glory for that Sabbath afternoon nap. I'm telling you, without that Sabbath afternoon nap, if we just had to roll over, think about it. If you just went from Friday to Monday, we would die. <laughs> just running the rat race. See, Nehemiah discovers something that you and I need to discover. When we finally step into our calling, we find the real meaning for our existence. Amen. He doesn't fall for this silly self-importance because he's on mission for God. Are you? Am I? Lastly, when they knew nothing else to do to dissuade him, they said, okay, fine, we're just going to tell on you. We're going to tell King Artaxerxes and when he hears what you're doing and we're going to lie with fake news about you and he's going to come and destroy you. And, and, and you know what happens there? The, 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 the priest says, you remember this, the priest says to Nehemiah, Nehemiah, look, everyone's out to get you. What you need to do is hide. And you need to preserve yourself. Come into the sanctuary. You and I will hide out here in the church, in the bowels of the church, and no one will find us. You will be safe. And Nehemiah ponders that. Self-preservation. See, when you begin to do something for God, when you step out on a limb, your family will come after you. When you begin to say to your friends, to your family, to your wife and husband, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow what God says. I'm going to start living what the Bible says. Your family will come after you. And you will be tempted to give up in order to preserve yourself. 
Nehemiah was tempted. But you know what he said? He said, who am I to save myself when God has asked me to give myself? You know how he got to that place of confidence? Prayer. Prayer is the place where he began to understand, and it was, like I said, seared into his heart, that it was not about him or his legacy. He was about God's. So he says, I will not hide. Listen, friends, I will not hide. I won't just protect the edges of what it means to be Adventist. No, I'm going to do the work of God, no matter the cost. I'm going to be out there building walls and raising up communities. I'm going to be out there building identity, no matter the cost to your organization. You know how he gets there? Prayer. And after that, in 52 days, the Bible tells us in the book of Nehemiah, in 52 days to build the wall. How many days? Turn to the person next to you, look them in the eye and say, 52 days. Go ahead. 52 days. 52 days. Is that a long time? Not really. Not really. Less than two months. Less than two months. 52 days. They rebuild. And listen, this is fascinating. 52 days for a group of cooks, uh, chefs, farmers. Not a builder in sight for a group of politicians to actually build a wall. It, it is phenomenal. And, and the reason the Bible tells us it took 52 days was not because of the skills that they had, because of the, but because of the God that they served. Because when they finished, everyone in the surrounding community would say, whoa, that's impossible. There's no way they did that unless they had help, extra help from a supernatural source. 52 days. And when they had finally finished building the, the walls, then they began rebuilding their identity. You know this because I'm just catching you up. They did four specific things. In Nehemiah chapter 8, when they built the wall, they, they did four specific things. They read the Word of God. They read the Bible. And after reading the Bible, they came face to face with their reality and then began to confess their sins, acknowledge what they had done wrong. And then they responded through worship and praise. You remember that? We talk about their Sabbath worship at the church style where they start at sunrise and then read the Bible for six hours, right? And then you do confession for another three hours and then there's worship and praise for the last three. Twelve hours of worship. And you guys look at the clock, you're like, 12.30, does he know Thanksgiving dinner is like right there? I know. I know some of you guys chose the aisle seat today because you want to be first out the door. Hey, more power to you, but there's plenty of food. Don't worry, there's plenty of food. They read the Bible, they confess their sins, they worship praise, and they accept the responsibility. And they did one more thing. They celebrated. They celebrated. And that's what we're going to do today. We're, gonna, we're here to celebrate. This is what the Bible says in Nehemiah chapter 12. At the dedication of the wall, when it had been completed, at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, the Levites were sought out from where they lived, and they were brought to Jerusalem to celebrate joyfully the dedication with songs of thanksgiving and the music of cymbals. Music of what? Cymbals. Harps and lyres. Does anybody know what a lyre is? It's a mini harp. It's like a guitar. Modern day guitar. Stringed instrument that brings melody and rhythm. The singers <clears throat> were also brought together from the region around Jerusalem. 
Bible tells us here in chapter 12 that Nehemiah said, okay, we need all the Levites, all the people to serve in the church community to please come and we're going we're gonna to prepare to celebrate. And they brought choirs. If you read it here, I'm going to go through it really fast because we're out of time. Uh, Nehemiah chapter 12, he says that he gets two large choirs. One goes up this side of the wall and one goes up that side of the wall. And the people, half the people went this way and half the people, and they got up on top of this wall and they walked the wall all the way together until they finally made their way back into the sanctuary. He got large choirs full of singers and musicians. Yes, we needed the drummers. Who else plays the cymbals? Do you? We needed the guitarists. We needed the vocalists. And he gathered everyone and they began to sing and praise with songs of thanksgiving and exceeding joy. And the Bible tells us here, I want you to follow along with me. If you brought a Bible today, this is our verse for today. Uh, Nehemiah chapter 12, verse 43. And on that day, they offered great sacrifices, rejoicing because God had given them great joy. Amen, anyone? Amen. The women and the children also rejoiced. And the sounds of rejoicing could be heard from far away. There was, it was bumping, the city of Jerusalem. All the neighboring cities would hear the sounds. And they're like, what's happening over there? Right? Yeah, I know some of you guys are like, oh, the music's loud today. Yeah, that's, that's why. Because we want the people to know that there's rejoicing in the house of God. Because God has given us reason to be joyful. Amen? Amen? See, it all began with prayer here 48 days ago. Turn to your person next to you and say, 48 days. 48. That's right. 48 days ago, inspired by the challenge of Nehemiah, we began a church-wide 40-day prayer challenge. And I know some of you guys weren't on it, but I want you to bring you in. And, and I want you to, to loan the experience here and make it your own for just a second. 48 days ago, we took up the 40-day the, the prayer challenge that Yasmin was referencing in, in, in the worship set. And we started here on a Monday night with this prayer that God would show up here amongst us just like he had in the past. See, what you don't recognize about Nehemiah is that when they begin to read the Bible, they read about David and Solomon hundreds of years before them. And they say, if God did it for them, he can do it for us. So we today are following in that same experience. If God did it for Nehemiah, he can do it for us. He can, he can take the impossibility of the task and the apathy of the people and the lack of provisions and he can provide where others say no God says yes and so we began 48 days ago here by saying God show up make yourself known we want to tell of your glory and we learned by reading the book uh, Mark Patterson's book Draw the Circle that we needed to get ready in the words of Joshua chapter 3, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow God will do amazing things about you we read this at the very beginning get ready God's going to do something great for you and we began praying not all of you not all of us but some of us and it's our prayer that as, as it grows in us, it would go further, maybe, maybe into your household and into your life. And as we prayed and we learned every day, we discovered certain things we weren't quite convinced of before. One of the most fascinating things from those first few days is this invitation. Mark Patterson says, when you're tempted to give up, pray through pray through. He says, sometimes God delivers us from our problems. That's usually the prayers we pray. God, get me out of this. Find, this, find me a way out. But sometimes God delivers us through our problems. Sometimes the answer is to just live in it Amen. and wait in it. And in the suffering and in the pain, God is still delivering. That was amazing as we read that the first week. Then we were challenged to rely on God. 
to rather than trying to make our own answers and fabricate our own uh, our own expressions, that, that we would trust God completely. Batterson says, prayer is the difference between you fighting for God and God fighting for you. Amen. Amen? You fighting for God and God fighting for you. And he also said it unequivocally, read the word of God. When you open your Bible, God opens his mouth. That, that image is just emblazoned in my head. That God opens his mouth. We all want to hear from God, but we keep that Bible shut. Even here, listen, look at me. Even in the house of God, some of you refuse to open the Bible. Does that make sense? I thought you were here to hear the word of God. You want to hear the word of God? Open the Bible. Those are his words. When you open the word of God, God opens his mouth. Fascinating. And as we prayed and as we got towards the end of our, of our time, Patterson says this, get a testimony. If you want to see God move, make a move. You want to have a story, you got to take a chance. You got to take a risk. And today we're gathering here to celebrate Thanksgiving and not the Mayflower kind. We're here, we're gathered to celebrate the Thanksgiving because God has moved upon our community. And we have evidence, we have testimonies of his glory and we want to share those testimonies with you. I've invited a few people share, with Sharon's help to share what God is doing in their lives. And, and we want you to have this testimony. Here's why. Batterson says this. When God answers a prayer, no matter how big or how small, we need to share it. Amen. If it's a stewardship issue, if we don't turn the prayer, answer the prayer into praise, it may very well turn into pride. We need to share it. Giving a testimony is the way we give God all the glory, but we also need it to share because others need to hear our testimony. If we don't share our testimonies of what God is doing in our lives, then others are tempted to think that God isn't working at all. Instead, when we share a testimony, we are loaning our faith to others. And when we listen to a testimony, we're borrowing faith Amen. from others. So I'm going to invite um, Devin to come forward and loan us his faith for a minute and share his testimony of answered prayer. Thank you, Pastor. Um, <clears throat> I didn't make it to any of the meetings, um, and uh, there was many reasons for that, mostly having to do with work. So if you don't know, I'm in the Navy, and sometimes uh, that takes priority over other things when I have to be on the ship on Monday nights or on Saturday sometimes. My faith grew in boundless measure over uh, this 40-day challenge uh, for a number of different reasons. Um, too many personal prayers uh, were answered over this time uh, to really count, so I won't really go into those. Um, but there was one really important uh, work prayer that got answered, and uh, on the 30th of October, my ship... Um, was getting ready to do a refueling at sea. And what we do is uh, we get within 200 feet of another ship and we string a hose cross from that oiler and we take uh, jet fuel or marine oil gas um, while we're both underway and steaming at the same time, 200 feet from each other. We were about 20 minutes into this evolution when <clears throat> the ship took a roll and when it took a roll, the ship's gyro, which tells the ship and all the equipment on board where we're at in the world, uh, decided that it didn't want to work anymore, which is fun, uh, exciting, and extremely dangerous when you're 200 feet from a ship that's carrying millions of gallons of fuel uh, 50 miles off the coast of San Diego. God was protecting both ships that day with highly trained crews on both ships. 
Um, I was the safety officer down on the rig, the one that has the, the tension cable coming across. And the, the, the captain gave the order emergency breakaway. Emergency breakaway is just an accelerated normal breakaway where uh, we disconnect the hose, we stop all pumping and, and everything like that. No fuel spilled, none. No fuel spilled. The hose disconnected just like it was supposed to and the ships were going in opposite directions. Well, when you have a cable connecting the two ships together, at some point that's going to separate. Well, the person that was driving our ship recognized that we were going that way and did, was like, uh, I'm supposed to do something here, but I don't know where I'm going because I don't have a gyro to tell me where I'm at or what direction I'm going. Well, she took all the right actions to make sure that we didn't separate any further from, uh, from the oiler. So the reason that you guys never heard about any of this on the news was because people took the right actions in the right time and they stayed on station down where I was at. We got 800 feet away from the other ship and that cable never separated. They finally slacked the span wire and we tripped the pelican hook, which, which is what connects it to our ship. And all lines were free of our ship and we were able to just go on our merry way. About 30,000 gallons less than we wanted to, but we were all safe. And I was able to be here to give my testimony because God protected our ship that day. And there's many other very powerful prayers that have been answered for me. Um, but over this challenge, <clears throat> two words, surrender and obedience. They kind of go hand in hand. Uh, you could put surrender, obedience. You could put obedience under surrender. But just surrendering my selfish attitude to God, number one, and obedience to how am I supposed to be as a husband? How am I supposed to be as a father as a leader to all soul surfers in here all you have to do is open the book because he tells you all the directions are right there are you willing to listen are you willing to put down your pride and just listen to what he has to tell you? Because thank you, church leadership, the Holy Spirit's been using you in amazing and powerful ways. So thank you, Holy Spirit, for using my church leadership to talk to me. Something I underlined in the book on page 224. Prayer is about getting into God's presence and getting into God's agenda for us not giving our agenda to God. If you don't know where to start, go to the Bible, start reading, and God will start speaking. Thank you. Thank you. I'm going to invite Stephanie to come and share with us an answer to prayer that God has delivered in these, in these days of prayer. Happy Sabbath, everyone. So uh, this morning, my roommate asked me, what party are you going to? I said, church. 
because this is a celebration. It's a celebration, and um, I want to tell you about a recent prayer that is so clearly, so clearly, not of human creation or manipulation or planning. Um, so I have a nonprofit in Zambia. You guys have been part of the journey, the ups and the downs. And um, as we've grown, so too has the budget and the money that's needed to meet the budget. And there were a variety of difficult decisions we made this year that were the right one, but it ones, but they were going to leave us in October, November, and December in a very, very shaky position as far as having finances. So in October, I glanced at what our budget was coming up. We barely made September's, October's. Um, and we needed $1,507 for November. I was like, oh, Lord. Because the bank account had $348, and there was another 72 cents there. So 348.72. Um, this was the 40-day of prayer during the middle of that, and we had been um, encouraged to pick something specific that we were praying for. And I thought of that 1,507, but it was a little too specific. Um, and I didn't want to get let down. So I decided, I'm, I'm just going to pray for the, the entirety of the process. I don't want to be let down by God. So uh, this is October, October 15, 16. I'm checking the bank account to see if there's any you know deposits that have come in. Still 348.72. October 20, 23, 24, $348.72, 25, 26, 27. I get a letter in the mail. I open it up. And the check is for $1,160. Comes to $1,508.72. So I called my friend. I said, um, can you tell me about this number? Because, I mean, 1,160. She goes, ah, there's nothing magical about it. I said, might be what you think. She says, okay, I'll tell you later. So I called. So this friend had been, for the last year and a half, had been keeping track of where, you know, within her budgeting, where stuff went. And uh, the time came, and she had what was there, and she split it up into four checks to four different organizations. We were the last check that she wrote, and that is the amount that was left over. Amen. Speechless. And um, so our next bold and audacious an impossible request that we're praying about is land, and not just land, 40 acres of land. 40 acres. Now, why do I think this might happen? Well, God does incredible, impossible, crazy things. And I also know that God is going to give us what we need when we need it. So... Um, in the last week, at the end of this 40 days, we've been praying for a director of operations to come on board to help keep me on track. 
We got that. Um, confirmation that was following up from the sermon I gave two weeks ago. Um, there's someone who has experience digging wells and purchasing land in Zambia who contacted. There's a civil engineer who's willing to draft up the plans of what we're envisioning. All of this within a five-day period. So I don't know what God has. I don't know how. But I know that we have a God who does impossible things. And even when we're scared to pray for it, he encourages us to pray. And as we pray, it opens our eyes. Because if we aren't asking, we can't see and we can't receive. Happy Thanksgiving, guys. I'm on clap. Yeah. <laughs> Thank, you. Thank you, Stephanie. I know some of you guys are worried about eating, but trust me, in a few moments, you're going to be eating, th eating through that door. We have one more testimony I want to share this morning because, as we said, if we don't share it, it's a stewardship issue. Then it goes from praise to pride. I'm going to invite Crystal to come and share with us um, one more word about God's provision and God's blessing as an answer to prayer. Thanks. I'm really nervous. Um, I'm used to speaking in front of kids, so when Sharon asked me to do a testimony, I kind of freaked out. <laughs> um, but um, I just wanted to share, the last two years um, for me have been kind of like a spiritual battle. Um, people who have been in kind of the connected group and the rooted group that we've done know that in my um, two years, my dad had cancer, stage four, um, almost died eight-hour surgery. He survived. He's a walking miracle. Um, there's a spiritual battle over my family to this day. There's a spiritual battle over relationships. Um, holidays are hard because things are not always that great with families. And I'm sure some of you can relate because the holidays come up and it brings all this stress. And I'm like, ah. And I, I'm the teacher that wants to manage and control. And I realize I need to let go and let God do things. Um, I, you know, uh, the last two years I went from not teaching to looking for a job to um, substitute teaching to part-time teaching to full-time teaching. And um, the last two years were probably the most intense of my life. I've been teaching for 12 years and I lost my voice. Um, and I, uh, I can't teach. Um, and so this summer, I kind of hit, I was like, woo, summer vacation. And then the summer vacation ended, and I realized I can't go back to teach. And school started, and I hit a really low point. And from the outside, it looked like everything was fine. Um, but I was really struggling because my identity was teaching. I had been doing that for 12 years, and I couldn't go back to, to teach. I couldn't use my voice, and I still can't um, go back to teach. So it's been really hard, and I, I kind of agonize with God, what is happening? I, I, what am I going to do? Like, all I know is to teach and to, to work. Um, so the spiritual battle was that the last few months of the school year, there was a battle over my students. And for people who have heard my story, there was this Jesus poster in my classroom that I kid you not felt every time that it was a rough day. And I would stand at the door and, and beg God, save my kids, do something. And I knew my, my, you know, the kids, I mean, all of us know as parents and as teachers and um, as leaders, the world has a lot to offer. 
and it's taking our kids away from him. And I was really struggling, and I left the school with no voice and just burnt out, um, exhausted. Um, and again, from the outside, it looked like everything was fine. But I, I just kind of fell apart. And so um, I'm thankful to Sharon, who listened to the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit said, do this book. And so I came on Monday and said, OK, God, what's happening? And I didn't know what was going to happen. And I will tell you that the last 40 days have not been easy. We've had a death. We've had a marriage. We've had a baby uh, being born. A uh, friend hit rock bottom. Uh, my husband's car um, overheated, and basically, like he was calling me, and people were in the parking lot, like, oh, "Are you okay? Are you okay? What's going on, man? What's going on? Are you okay?" Because his car was smoldering so badly, and um, all I knew is that in these 40 days, I needed to let go and let God. I needed to start every day with him in prayer and not just running the last two years and packing God in and doing help me prayers, but actually stopping and saying, I need to slow down. And um, I was really frustrated that I didn't have a voice. And I was really frustrated that um, this was, this, everybody's like, oh, it's a season of rest. You should be very thankful. But I actually wasn't. Um, I mean, that's just a reality. I wasn't thankful. Um, now I see it, because if we don't take care of our physical and spiritual and emotional health, then we're no good to anybody else. And I think that um, losing my voice was that wake-up call that said, slow down. You are doing way too much, and you need to take care, care of self. Um, and that the 40 days has kind of been that. Um, in the midst of um, you know somebody dying and a friend hitting rock bottom and having major car issues and all that stuff, again, it looks like okay from the outside, but inside, we're broken and we're hurting. And it's almost like that season of winter. And I described it to a friend as this. Um, I had a season right now of, of summer where everything was going okay. I was full force. And then came fall. And I had to change. I had to kind of shed. I had to break down. And on the first day of the 40-day challenge, I cried for two hours. I prayed for two hours, which I've never done before in my entire life. And I, I'm now in the season of winter. And not the San Diego winter, where it's like all nice and sunny, but it's a harsh winter. Um, and that's OK. It's OK to say I'm in a season of rest. And I have been judged by many people to say, well, oh, it must be nice that you don't have to work. It must be nice that you don't have to teach. Oh, we wish we could all do that. I've, I've, I've heard it all. And I've heard people say, oh, you need to have kids because you're, you're not having kids. And, and you're a horrible person because you don't have kids right now. And, and just everything that you can imagine in these last 40 days has kind of, kind of hit. And I have to stop and say, this is my winter. And in winter, when you're bare and you're exposed, what I'm building is the roots down under, the roots that hold you and the roots that get you through those hard times. And for, I know many of us, the holidays are really hard. And they bring about everything you could imagine. Uh, loss of a loved one who's no longer there. Loss of um, just everything. Uh, maybe finances. Um, you know, paradise just took a hit. That's my sister's, that's where my nephew was born. 
that was when my sister raised my nephew for the first four years of his life. The hospital that my nephew was born in burned down to the ground. The house that they used to live in burned down to the ground. And I, I just sat there and cried, and I said, how could this be? How could this be? It's a season of winter. And yet in that, God is still there, and we're building the roots that get us through the winter, because after winter, there's always spring. So I, I, that's my testimony, and it's been a rough 40 days, and now 40 plus, and, but that's okay, because every day I start saying, God, no matter what I do, as soon as I get out of this bed, it's you and I, and it's no longer an emergency prayer. It's I need help for whatever comes today, because I don't know what it is, and that's okay. I don't have a voice 100% yet, but that's okay. Why I can't teach, I don't know, but that's okay. God knows, and in God's time, it will all be good. So if you're having a season of winter right now, then be encouraged that you're building the roots to stand strong, and that after that, God will blossom into spring. Thank you very much, Crystal. We know that there are other testimonies in our community, and there are some of you who are in seasons of prayer where prayer hasn't yet been answered. We want to invite you to take this day, a day of thanksgiving, to give God glory regardless, and to allow him to bless you with the testimony of others. So after this song, when we pray, and when we have lunch, we want you to share. Tell people what you're praying for, or what you've prayed through, or what you're praying through for the moment. And we want you to tell them what's been happening, how God has answered, or what you're waiting on. Because when we claim it, when we put it out there, we give God a chance to reveal His power, not just in our lives, but in the lives of those that we share. So in anticipation of that, in the celebration of what, for what God has already done, we're going to sing a song of victory today. We invite you to stand and sing with us as we close our service. This day of thanksgiving, by praising God for making a way there seemed to be no way.